Hi, James. Ben, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I, I, perhaps I will be more chipper because now it is, uh, it, it's late at night my time, uh, as opposed to being in the morning, when, which is when we usually record. What do you mean more chipper? You're always chipper. <laughs> It'll be chipper monk bent. Chipper monk bent. You're, <laughs> we have to create a new account. Is I it, wonder how long. Hey, it's not we. I had nothing to do with it, but I think you just gave yourself away. I had, it's no wow I no I'm I'm barely on Twitter as it is anymore I have I have a day job I wish I was on there a bit more no it's I I cross my heart and hope to die it's not me but yeah. it's good to have you over this side of the Pacific Ocean yes so it's it's good to be here I am in uh, Wisconsin uh, mm. the the thriving tech hub of of Wisconsin you, you're doing some consulting work <laughs> yeah. some, a bit of a few speaking engagements yeah I'm speaking speaking to the uh, to the parents which is you know plenty plenty, plenty work as we can all nice. relate to so. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So last week we were both traveling, uh, which we kind of knew we should have said at the last podcast, yeah, but, um, sorry guys, that's our bad. No. And then next week I will be on uh vacation vacation. So, Ooh. uh, so we will, so we're, we're here this week. We'll be off again next week. And then we should be back on a regular schedule after that. Sweet. Unless you disappear. Mm, I'll try not to. Yes. Uh, so, uh, um, I actually, uh, we because we've you know we've been a little more haphazard. We we haven't had a chance to talk too much about what we were going to talk about. But I, I actually uh, I would actually like your help. Um, for I've been kind of th- thinking about um, a f- several of the podcasts that we've had. So I think this, mm-hmm. it was the second podcast we talked about. You know, is Silicon Valley working on the right things? Um, yeah. Which has kind of been a, a theme, you know, in the press lately. You know, there's been a, in reaction to things like, you know, Yo getting a million dollars, or <laughs> which, by the way, I think is totally justified. Uh, for the record, um, uh, we can get to that later. Uh, the, yeah. the washboard, the quarter guys, you know, like shipping quarters to you, which unfortunately I had to shut down. Um, uh, what was the, what was the other one that's really got people up in arms? I don't know. It's it's a new one every day. Yeah, no, I, I, it'll it'll come to me in a moment. But um, but yeah. So there's been the whole thing, you know. Is oh, it's like the the parking reservation and the restaurant reservation, like you know, like. No, I didn't hear about that. What's the go? So the parking reservation is, I think it's monkey parking. So, uh, basically, you can sell your spot. The only problem, the only issue is, um, it's not yours, right? It's a it's a parking spot on the street that's owned oh. by the city of San Francisco. And um, I presume, like their legal justification is, you're not selling the spot; you're selling information about when the spot will become available. But the app doesn't make that clear at all. And you know, even if they did, it's you know, it's very perverse incentives. Well, it, well, I, I mean, it's 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 economically justifiable. Um, you know, like there's there is a market. You know, there there is there is a there is waste from people looking for parking spots that you know could be remedied. Um, but you know, you can, economic justifications can, can, you know, yeah, the, mean, the road to hell's paved with economic justifications, <laughs> I think is the phrase. <laughs> that's a much, that's, I much prefer that saying the road to hell is paved with economic justifications. That's amazing. I love it. Um, and the other one, the, the other one that, that is, um, is the, the restaurant one. Basically they call popular restaurants and make reservations under fake names and then they sell the oh, reservations. Wow. Um, wow, that's that's. I mean, yeah. See, I f- I feel like there are a few perverse incentives. I mean, I understand economically why it's happening, but there are some perverse incentives. Involved. Well, it's interesting. I I actually I I I haven't I I 
want to write about this mainly as so I can link to another article. Maybe I'll, I'll probably do this in my um, in my daily update. Uh, but uh, there there was a really interesting article about this a restaurateur in Chicago, and Chicago is you know quite famous for its restaurants and its its rest, restaurant entrepreneurs. Um, who has devised a ticketing system where you basically have to prepay for part of your meal, um, and it's non-refundable, and basically he's completely eliminated like waste in the system. That's really cool. Well, That's it, it's, really clever. It's really clever, and what's interesting is that that is the perfect way for a restaurant to fight back against this this startup, right? And like big picture, like the like, by kind of knee-jerk instinctually and i'm not my mind's not set on this is kind of why i talk to you about it like by knee-jerk like rejecting what's happening here we're almost closing the door to finding a better solution i agree i think i think i probably have a similar knee-jerk to it and i guess but my knee-jerk isn't to the idea that people are doing it i mean uh i uh, it's it's the notion that there's a middleman that's that's inserting themselves into the process when I mean really the wonderful thing about the internet is that you can remove all that. I mean in the instance of the parking situation, the perverse incentive that immediately came to mind is is like people with nothing better to do with their time driving around, taking up parking spots, waiting until someone offers to pay them. Which is I hope that wouldn't happen, but who knows? The same thing with the restaurant tour one, like. These guys are trying to they're trying to run a business on one side and on the other side there are customers who want to come in and they are mucking up the supply and the demand and like they put their names down and who knows whether someone's actually going to show up or not and if you cut the middleman out again if you take it straight to the restaurant tour like I love the restaurant tour idea of just like well you prepay and like that's a signaling commitment the person's much more likely to show up um, the restaurateur has has that 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 you know like the, the I, I just think it's a really clever Except idea. What, but yeah. but the problem is I'm I'm the only one saying that right. Like the the un, there's universal disgust with this startup idea, right? But Which, the, so the restaurant or with, the parking with, or both? No, with, with well the parking, I think it's it's mostly disgust. There's a few people like yeah, that that can see kind of see the point. But with the restaurant thing, it's like you know. There's no ethics here. You're being a terrible person. Like, oh, and there's like all these like thought pieces about. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, the last time this came up was, um, or at least the last time that I started thinking about this, and I remember it really getting picked up on was, um, was when Toronto went into this massive, like it had a massive flood, and um, Uber uh, surge priced and someone wrote this um, article about Uber stop being assholes. And, you know, look, to, to a certain extent, I understand where the person was coming from when they said that, but I ended up writing something on Medium. It was my first time writing on Medium and I wanted to try what it was like and it was lots of fun. It's a beautiful interface. But it, it was a case of, guys, listen, we live in a free market economy. Uh, I understand people have distaste around uh, there are instances where people have distaste around using market mechanisms to determine allocation of resources. The only problem with that attitude um, is that every other way of allocating resources is less good than that. Now, I there are there is a broader point around inequality. So, okay, we're going to allocate resources based on price. That works really well when everyone has a reasonable amount. But what happens when some people are really rich and other people are really poor and the really poor people need something? Well, 
I think that's a separate issue that we need to deal with separately. So you you start to focus on social security nets and taxation systems to reduce inequality separately from saying to people, well, we're going to control price or we're going to, you know, because right now with the parking, for example, it's it's based on who has the most time to spend. And that, that doesn't seem like a sensible way of determining who gets it or who's lucky and comes along at the right time. And that's the thing that's awesome about Uber. It's it's run on a market mechanism. And you know, when you press it, when you when you request a car, a car is going to come. And when there's a when there's a uh, an event like a flood or something and drivers are like, well, I'm just going to get the normal amount that I'm otherwise going to get paid. Why would I go out? Well, Uber brings more cars on the road because they're able to offer the drivers more money. Like well, market, well, it cuts, market prices work. Yeah, right? well, it cuts the other way too. This is what people um, don't 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 appreciate about surge pricing. Surge pricing is not just there to to push up supply. It's also there to depress demand. Right. Like people are supposed to think it's too expensive. That's yeah, the entire point, and right. you know, and I, 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 I think your point is very well made. That um, yes, there it does mean that those with more resources are more likely to get get the the item in question. But you deal with that separately. You don't right. You, you don't conflate everything, and because all you're going to do is you're, you're not making the situation better. Like in this, like so, Uber just yesterday agreed, you know, that they're not going to have surge pricing in emergencies. Like, oh, so that's just stupid. That's it, just dumb. I know because it, it, because there, like, there's no. Fr- it, it's 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 frustrating. Like it, like you said, it's understandable, but it's super frustrating because you oh, don't wow. you don't take away surge pricing for free. Like no. if there's no surge pricing, there is not going to be sufficient supply. Look, it, so, so yeah, totally. I, I oh sorry, I, I interrupted you, but I'm I'm interrupting you because I'm in violent violent agreement. Like it, it, this, this, <laughs> this happened in, this happened at, like, what, remember, what happens when you're in violent disagreement? Well, I, I'm trying, we, we, we keep getting feedback about interrupting each other. So I'm trying <laughs> to be cognizant of that. And yes, everybody, it's not just Ben that interrupts. No, me. no, it's fine. I get passionate and interrupt him. So stop, poor Ben. You can pick on me as well. Ben feels picked on sometimes. I'm going to edit um, this out. Yeah. I, uh, anyway, listen. the the thing that the the thing that comes to mind here is Hurricane Sandy in New York City, and that's only, exactly what that's exactly what this what prompted this. The only reliable way to get around New York City during Hurricane Sandy was Uber, and the reason is because it was the only thing that was using market mechanisms to determine the allocation of resources. It depressed demand because people who didn't really need to go somewhere or couldn't afford it, but that's a separate issue, like you say, weren't requesting the cars, and it was bringing more cars onto the road because they were bringing more money in. These are like... To to abandon surge pricing is stupid because like this this is the base market economics works like there are things that are bad about it like unequal access to resources but you fix those separately now the specific instance of Uber I actually wrote to some of the folks at Uber afterwards and said guys listen the people the reason people are getting upset is because you they think you're gouging during an emergency there's a very simple way of fixing this just just like donate the excess profits to charity, right? And then it's like, well, we make the same amount during an emergency as during um, a regular, like a regular day. Like we're not gouging you. We're putting up the prices to get more drivers on the road. And that's a good thing because that means you're more likely to be able to get where you need to go 
when you most need to do it, when something terrible has happened. Like to abandon the surge pricing, just to my mind, is dumb. Well, they're not abandoning it. They're being forced to by the Attorney General but of New York. But I think uh-huh. I think uh, I think you have hit on something with Uber specifically. Like they've really failed on the PR angle on on the surge pricing, and I think where they failed is um, I, is you're kind of falling into it too. Is they've overly focused on the bringing more drivers on the road angle. When I think they should, like, I can understand why they don't want to say that the point is to get fewer people to take an Uber, but I, I feel like they should say that, right? Because that, like, that that kind of meets people's frustration head on. You know, people are like, it's so expensive. And then, yeah. like, Uber needs to say, yeah. like, don't take it. Like, and they need to be, like, super, super clear. Like, the reason we do this is so there's always a car available, full stop. And that happens two ways. One, there's more drivers, and two, the people who don't really need it don't do it. And they should pull out like all the sappy examples. You know, the woman about to have a baby, like she will right. she will pay five hundred dollars to get to the hospital. And yeah. and do you and if there is no surge pricing, guess what? She's gonna be staying on a street corner hailing down a taxi like the person who wants to go to his buddy's house to watch the baseball game. Right. And and that's the wonderful thing about price. It's a mechanism that lets people signal how much they want something now again there's a there's a there's a societal question about giving people the resources such that they can signal when they really need something but in general this is the reason why capitalism works it's because like allocating resources in a society is really friggin difficult and every other way that we've tried has failed now price has some nasty side effects but it works and it just strikes me as crazy i mean so that the new york attorney general is forcing uber to abandon surge pricing in emergencies like we live in a capitalist system people like, well it's not just that it's that that's the time we need surge pricing the most right it's <laughs> this is when i completely completely agree now if i think that i think what <laughs> i think the question i would pose for the new york government is like why why aren't you why aren't you doing more to help your citizens such that when there's an emergency and they need something like this why aren't they able to afford it. Don't blame Uber. This is your own failure. It's not the failure of a private enterprise. Well, the other, I mean, the other thing is like, I mean, we're 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 totally preaching, you know, preaching to each other right, at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it it is frustrating. It's and it's frustrating that it it's funny because I feel like surge pricing is kind of one of those things. Like it, it's like a witness test almost. Like you either I, I just have a very I almost feel like if it's very hard to communicate with someone who who just can't who just is fundamentally opposed to surge pricing like it's it's hard to have a a economically you know just a rational yeah, conversation exactly i mean because it, it really is one of the most of all the quote unquote controversial topics out there it actually is one of the most cut and dried um which is I, I almost feel like we're we're probably not doing a good enough job on this podcast because we both so strongly agree, you know. Like I I I, I don't know. I I may, maybe you know if people want to send like try 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 to convince us why it's a bad idea and we'll destroy your arguments. <laughs> yeah, we'll gang up on you. You're invited on and we'll gang up on you. No, but look, I mean it's a it's a it it comes down to an emotional point of view, like. This, this, uh, so uh, I'll do my best to play devil's advocate. People, people see, oh wow, they they're like this business is observing that um, people want the good, 
So they're going to put the price up. And to do so in an emergency, like this is, the, I mean, the, the comparison that, that gets drawn is like some guy who's got all this water and sees someone um, dying of thirst in the desert. And it's like, you know what? I have all this water, but I know like that people feel like they're being exploited when um, the price moves based on a consumer's willingness to pay. But I, I feel like the Uber example, this isn't gouging. This is letting the market decide when, like what the price should be. Like given the, given the demand for resources and given the supply of resources, um, the price is how we're going to determine who gets what. Now, the alternative is that it's just sheer luck, right? Like who gets a, who gets a car on the street is just based on who's driving, like who has their hands stuck out at the same time. And that's a less effective mechanism for allocating resources than letting people signal using price. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think you, you kind of nailed the part where it gets tricky because from an economic perspective, there is no such thing as price gouging. Like it, the, the, it's a concept that doesn't exist, right? Because if someone's charging too much, then right. you don't well, buy I get, Yeah, but, see, but, that, that's but, true. But, but, I think, well, just a second. Um, sorry. But you, your example of the guy in the desert, right? And someone dying of thirst, like that's, that's actually a monopoly problem. Right? right, it's not it's not a price gouging problem, but I, and I think exactly it pe- people um you know people don't you know if Uber was the only possible you know if they were a monopoly provider and they increased prices because they're you know right I mean I think that it's 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 drawing that and understanding that distinction where I think it yeah. gets it gets the, it gets the reason yeah you're right the so the the problem is that the behavior without an understanding of the reasons why the behavior looks very similar to the behavior of a bad a like, bad monopolist uh, yeah. yeah bad monopolist so so the other example that people always give is like drug manufacturer monopoly on the drug um, brings the drug to market it costs it uh, I don't know like it costs them nothing to produce and then they charge outrageous amounts and obviously there's the cost of development and all those other kinds of things but the idea that perhaps that a drug manufacturer might adjust the price of the drug based on the like oh look this person is this person has this much money and I know that if they don't have this drug they're going to die therefore I'm going to charge them all the way up to their maximum willingness to pay even though there's no there's no cost rationale for me to do so that that like that generates i mean people have a fundamental sense of fairness and that feels unfair and i would certainly sympathize with that but it's not the same thing as what we're talking about in terms of supply meeting demand which is what we're talking about in the instance of uber right but i i think this is where you know we you something we've talked about where where we as an industry do fall on our face right in that, like we're, we're we are both being very righteous about surge pricing right now, and that doesn't change the fact that there are a lot of people that fund that fundamentally f- feel that it's bad, right? Yeah. And 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 it doesn't actually do any good. And I'm reproaching myself from a few minutes ago. It doesn't do any good to talk down to people. Yeah, like, you're right. I, I can feel myself getting up. Well, I lo- like that feeling of self-righteousness is really addictive and I can feel <laughs> myself like I can just feel it coming out. And you're absolutely right. Um, it doesn't like it. And you know what? I, I like those Uber guys. I I love their product and I've met a few of them and they seem really nice, but they are masters of bad public relations. Like, uh, I agree. It just textbook time after time after time they seem to put their foot or something else in their mouth every single time and it 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like someone tried to do a, a while back, someone tried to do a beat up job on Travis Kolopnik or whatever it was. And I don't know what he's like, but gosh, who, like for, for the extent to which the, that business has done so well, I feel like they could have just been so much more strategic about the way they've communicated this to people because their product is amazing. The idea behind their product is amazing. I personally love it. I use it all the time. I think I think the valuations that they're getting are absolutely justified. I think it's like that that business has the ability to change the world. But gosh, they've done such a bad job on PR. Completely agree. Um, so okay, so so going back because it's funny because we're back to Uber because Uber is the Uber is the company where we kind of wrapped that conversation um, mm. way back when. You know, they, they, yeah. they are changing the world. Um, so I, 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 I something I, I've been kind of writing about it it's not fully fleshed out yet yeah um but basically so you know we had the whole we, we've had a bit of a you know a, a discussion about disruption um <laughs> and uh you know about can 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 companies that exist you know dis disrupt themselves or can they mm -hmm. develop disruptive innovation um and you know just to just you know, you can interrupt me if I'm wrong, but your position is that you know companies should focus on what their their job is. Um, like so, Blockbuster's job was to entertain people, and then they should move into new ways of doing business that let them continue doing the job. Um, right. And my position, mission driven. Yeah, yeah. And my position is that companies have uh, you know processes and 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 people in place that are meant that give them an advantage in one specific area, and once and even if the job and and if the job if the way to do a job changes like they're they're actually more at a disadvantage relative to a startup um who can start afresh and with new new processes new institutions new new products new ways to of setting be, up to be fair i wouldn't disagree with any of what you've said just then like i i i i think that i think that those statements are both are, are both um, are both, I mean, in terms of like, I believe, yes, that companies should be more mission driven, but that also the way that a job gets done, if technology or something fundamentally changes it and existing businesses can be at a disadvantage or is at a disadvantage. I agree with that. It's, um, I guess the, the, I guess where we part ways is like, I don't, I don't therefore believe that an existing business should pack their bags and go home because it's tough. I think they, that there are ways of surmounting those problems and yes they are there are in certain instances well in certain ways they are at a disadvantage as compared to um a startup but there are certain things that they have an advantage on and and there are ways of structuring a new enterprise such that a a startup that is created by an existing business is able to or could um, if it's done properly, could end up challenging. Um, there, there's no reason, like, yes, they just shouldn't give up. Yes, it's hard, but they shouldn't give up. All right. Which is, I, I think that's a fair representation of your point. And my, my counter is, uh, I think that sounds good in theory, but in reality, uh, they just end up destroying lots of, lots of capital, lots of shareholder value, um, because it actually doesn't work. <laughs> um, so yeah. We disagree. That's fine, um, but but it, it brings me back to it brings me to this kind of uh, grand theory that that I have that actually ties these two themes kind of together. Hmm. A grand theory. Yes, I want to mouth. Not just you. a theory, but like a grand theory. 
So it, it it ties in like actually our our kind of rat hole discussion there about about the market being being a good thing and and the and, you know the mm. best way we know how to to allocate to allocate resources you know whether that resources be rise or whether it be capital whether it be be yeah capital um basically it's this uh the criticism of silicon valley of not working on the right things is mm. fundamentally misplaced and wow, okay. it's misplaced not because silicon valley works on the right things I will I will grant you that Silicon Valley, the vast majority of it, works on the wrong things. Um, I've said in the past that I think the Valley is very wasteful. I think there's tons of businesses that, if they had even a modicum of business sense and marketing ability, um, would do better than they do, or wouldn't even mm. wouldn't even start. Mm. Um, but when you th- when you think about in aggregate the amount of money that is invested in Silicon Valley. Uh, and you put that up against the amount of money that corporations spend to quote unquote innovate. Uh, Silicon Valley, I think, ends up coming out quite well f- in bang for the buck. And and it, it, if you step back instead of just looking at one company, and you step back and look at like our the we'll just say the U.S. the U.S. economy as a whole. Uh, we've kind of we've kind of stumbled into this system it's not it's not at all efficient because it would be more efficient well we'll get to what would be most efficient but where uh in in the valley we was focused on tech so in the valley uh there's there is wild experimentation allowed right you can mm, do all yeah. sorts of crazy stuff and really. some of it's superficial and some of it's meaningless um and some of it seems meaningless like some people can't hail a taxi so they start a company and it ends up being something that i agree with you is potentially world changing and which is uber um and and so we have this area there that is if you look at the u.s economy as a you know as a large company that that is the that is the little that is the operation off to the side that isn't beholden the parent company that can build disruptive products that can destroy business models and meanwhile uh, we have established companies that are, you know, listed in the stock market that are ha- pushed by stockholders to focus on quarterly revenue, to mm-hmm. to to optimize their their profits, and uh, and if you look at it as a whole, maybe if you look at an individual company, that's problematic. If you look at it as the economy as a whole, that's actually not such a bad thing. Like if you were to build an optimal system, you would have the companies with established products focused on throwing off as much cash as possible. And you'd have the people who don't have any restrictions focused on crazy experimentation and coming up with the next big thing. So this is, yeah, this is interesting. This is uh, really interesting. So, I mean, my first reaction is it would be interesting to figure out if there was data to support, um, like what the data suggests. Like yeah, whether, I, that's one of the reasons I haven't written it yet. I haven't, I haven't, yeah, I haven't no, trouble finding I, it. And I can't, I, it would be difficult data to pull together, but even in terms of like the metrics of success, like are we going to talk in terms of like dollars invested? Like if you put a dollar in in one of these companies 10 years later, are you more likely to have made your money back if you if you put it across a bar, like the basket of Silicon Valley or put it across the basket of the S&P 500 perhaps like that would be an interesting way of running the experiment mm. um, 
Uh, I so and then it becomes a question of whether you think we should be optimizing for individual organizations or optimizing uh, for the societally in general, and that's an interesting question. And I think that's a fundamental disagreement, right? Like I'm looking at it from a society perspective, in which it's it actually probably is optimal for a corporation to focus on what it does best and to be as efficient as possible and to not worry about innovation. So it's a really interesting question. The idea that um, you are uh, like part of the reason that these corporations are not well suited to doing it. I mean, I wonder whether it's because like part of the root cause of the problem is because of the shareholder pressure. And one of the things that I have I've, I mean, we've talked about this previously. I've thought about as a solution is implementing a sliding scale capital gains tax. So if you hold a stock for one second, you're, you pay 99% in capital gains all the way down to you hold it to 10 years and you pay a much, much, much lower percentage, possibly as low as 0%, depending on what society decides is best. Um, the advantage of that is that it Uh, the shareholders start to think about innovation in very different ways and the returns they're seeking and how those returns are obtained. So if if you're thinking about next quarter's numbers, then it really does limit the ability for an executive to do anything dramatically different uh, in terms of the way they deliver those numbers. But if shareholders are encouraged to think about um, uh, encouraged to think about where the company will be in 10 years' time, then they give management a lot more leeway to start investing in a way that looks very, very different and running a business in a way that looks very, very different. So I wonder whether part of the disadvantage that you speak of that, that big companies have, and I do agree that they have one, is because there are these expectations that they deliver on such a short term time horizon and if you give them a longer term time horizon then they actually have the ability to to do a better job in terms of innovating around things that they otherwise couldn't do so i i mean i guess this is a fundamental question is why why is it that corporations have a hard time have a hard time innovating like is it is it really because of shareholder pressure or because you think about it there are still lots of internal things that work against an you know innovative new product right like your middle line man like the ceo for sure is motivated by by shareholders in the stock price but your mid-level manager who kills innovation in the womb before long before it reaches the ceo he's not motivated by by that or if he is it's very very indirect it's usually much more like this threatens my job or this threatens my position yeah, or it is indirect but like the, the 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 requirement to deliver numbers is is rolls downhill inside an organization the pressure is put on the top and then that pressure flows down it cascades down and everyone has a role to play in delivering those numbers i guess i guess the question that you're raising the question that we're raising here is like, I mean, I, I agree that in, in terms of sustaining innovation, in terms of creating innovation that supports the business model that a business already has, yes, a company is well suited to doing that. I think disruptive innovation, it's going to be hard to, to, to build something that's fundamentally going to destroy the existing business from within the business. Um, well, if you, I mean, if, just... Oh, sorry. No, I thought you were done. No, no, not not quite. Um, not quite yet. Like the if the if the way of solving that is to create something that's outside the bounds of the existing business. If you if if the way that um the the way that 
we've seen organizations do it successfully. So we talked at the end of the last episode, IBM going from uh, mainframes to personal computers to consulting services. Every time they did that, that particularly the mainframes to personal computers, they they did it in a very separate location that was separated out from the core entity. So the core entity couldn't interfere both from a geographic and from a business model point of view. Like then the question becomes, well, do you think a player in a market is better suited to starting something up or creating something new than a venture capital firm? Like, and then it becomes a, it's a, it's a very different question. And I think if you've been like, if you're Netflix and you're, um, and you're oh, well, sorry, you're blockbuster, and you're in the you're in the business of entertainment, and you're trying to create Netflix, and you go to the entertainment companies and say, "Look, I already have, I already have this massive catalog, and I want to, my smaller entity. We want to do something entirely different, and we want good terms because we have all these existing terms." I actually think that big corporations do have an edge in terms of competing with with venture-backed firms which don't have any existing play in the space. So, you know, yes, if you're trying to do it from within the organization, you're at a disadvantage. But if you recognize that the solution to disruption that that where it's where it's been successfully uh, where it's been successfully executed is to do it externally, then the question becomes who's better at doing it, an existing corporation or a venture-backed firm? And there are arguments well, so, both ways, right? Well, I mean, here's my question. Like in your, uh, to be generous, idealized scenario, <laughs> to be snarky, uh, fantasy scenario, Ooh. Uh, Ooh. in what way is a blockbuster-built Netflix better than the, than the Netflix we have? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I, I, no good answer. No good answer. I, I mean, from a, from, from that perspective, from a, it, it, this really, this is interesting because it, it depends on the point of view from whom you're looking at it. And I think from like, you're talking like, this is the Schumpeter point of view, creative destruction, um, that that it's actually good for things to die and wither, and in general, I agree. Where I find what what I find interesting, and perhaps, yeah, I mean, and it's it's probably flavored by the the people that I've worked with in the past and the work that I've done in the past is if you're an executive inside this inside this scenario, do you just roll over and die, or are there ways of fighting back? And See, to me, that, that's, that, that is part, this, you've nailed the exact point. It mm. is your point of view. Right. And, I, and I feel like the, the problem with a lot of kind of disruption uh, uh, prescriptions is they are mostly written for and from the point of view of, the, of, of management. Right. And that, that's not a problem, best, though. No, well, no, I'm not saying it's a problem, but if you step back, what's best for management is not necessarily what's best for society. And, and, and so I actually think if you look at it from strictly from a society economic standpoint, um, I, I, I would bet there's management wouldn't come off nearly as well. Now, hmm, this is there is, there is, so to me, if there is a counter argument against me, I'm going to now step over and argue You're against myself. You're going to do my job for me. Well, well, <laughs> I, to me, if you, if you want to maintain the societal perspective, uh-huh. the reason to argue for existing companies to disrupt themselves is because there is societal value in, in companies as institutions, as pillars of society. You know, as 
you know, like we talked, I think, in one of these episodes about Kodak, right, in Rochester, New York, like the, the, the center of that city. You know, like Microsoft is the foundation of the Puget Sound area, right? Mm. You, you like, and there is value. Like people, people build their lives there, right? right. There's, there's parks there. There's summer leagues. There, there's all this stuff that comes up around a big company that is meaningful to people in very real ways. And when a company is disrupted and goes out of business or dramatically downsizes, um, that, uh, that kind of tears at the social yeah, fabric. Right. And and to me, like that, if you're going to take my point of view in my context, which is the societal one, that is the counter argument yeah, see, to see, argue in favor. Right. Of and so I feel like this harks back to what we were talking about with Uber, and that is that we're conflating separate things, right? I think the point that you've made around um, big companies dying and little companies replacing it and there maybe there's no difference, I think that's a good point. I think defending big companies because there are structural impacts to big companies being disrupted is similar to the idea of saying, at least to my mind, is similar to the idea of saying, Uber, sorry, you can't do surge pricing in emergencies because... Um, it's it's just unfair and it has nasty effects and people want to get around and not everyone can afford to. Like I feel like there are some parallels. I think that the thing that you're the thing that you might not be taking account of is the fact that big companies might be able to innovate in other ways that they're not right now that perhaps even venture back startups aren't able to do. Were they given the runway? And that's that's a question that I mean. So. That's a question that I, I, I think is an op- I think that's an open question. And so um, there are what's interesting is that there are natural experiments being run on this right now in the in the guise of Facebook and Google. Both of these are organizations that yes have shareholders, but all the shareholders are um, non-voting shareholders. And it's really interesting to my mind to see two companies like this um, producing some and and pursuing and uh, acquiring really interesting stuff like really innovative stuff like all of that google x stuff there's a there's a question in my mind whether well i don't know maybe they wouldn't be able to do it if the if the typical pressures were being applied to them that are applied to most other companies that is interesting i i think you're you're exactly right that those those are experiments um in a lot of ways and it's something we should um I don't want to get too much into it because, uh, as you know, I've been writing about about Google and Google Now and their kind of vision for computing, um, and I think that's probably worth a whole other a whole other episode. Yeah, but, um, um, this wearable no, thing is going to come up again. I feel it. <laughs> uh, you know, for sure. And, and uh, yeah, I, I mentioned I did another podcast today, and I spent quite a bit of time talking about it. So yeah. I'm all tired of it. But but no, but it, it's. I, I love the idea of of Google and Facebook being being experiments. I guess my what I'm driving at is uh, I wish there was I wish there was an experiment that that also was had. I love the idea of them being experiments because of their corporate governance strategy, mm. where shareholders basically have no influence right. over them. Um, I wish there to me they're a little too similar, right? I wish there was yeah. another company totally. with a different mindset. That we could throw into that. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. But I, I, it's interesting to raise it as a point that um, your so your question around how would how would what um, Netflix versus well how would Blockbuster have been different versus Netflix? My question is like, 
if you were if you if you implemented something like this which took the pressure off management in terms of delivering short-term numbers if if it gave them the scope to think about the long term would they be able to innovate in ways that even these venture back startups can't? And I think the answer to that, well, I don't know. It's an open question. I don't know. I mean, I just, it's I an just open question, back, right? I just think back to being to being at Microsoft and working in Windows. And before I went to Microsoft, I was very, you know, I didn't have a blog then, but I was very vocal on Twitter that uh, Microsoft Office was the Microsoft future. That Office ought to be on iOS. It ought to be on Android. That ought to be Microsoft's platform and lever to to build up their services going forward. Right. Basically, all the stuff I'm saying now. Um, I had that position four years ago. Uh, then <laughs> I go to Microsoft and I work on Windows and and I, I was at least aware of the cognitive dissonance, um, kind of. But uh, I, I, you know, it was very, very much, very easy to fall into the mindset that no office needs to be for Windows. Like it needs to, it needs to make Windows successful and and prop that up. And that wasn't. And and that was even even though I held a whole bunch of Microsoft stock. Yeah, but did, right. So, like, no, yeah. but before a, as a stockholder, like I, I when I said Office should be the focus, it should be cross platform. That I as a stockholder, that's what I believed. But as an employee, as someone who who worked on Windows and wanted the product I worked on to succeed, I actually would argue the opposite. And and my point is, I I think that. To, to attribute the the barriers against self disruption as being solely sh- shareholder pressure, uh, I, I think that's one part of many. I yeah, don't think it's I, the only part. I, no, I, I'm granted entirely. Like you, you, when organizations grow up, they start to build processes, and the processes and the profit model and all those elements are well suited to doing what they do right now, as opposed to doing something else in the future uh, or doing something that with a s- substantially different profit model I agree especially when it hurts when it, when it hurts themselves right. right but the the thing is by not doing that they're hurting themselves now now you say as a shareholder you would want um, you would want um, Microsoft to bring office to all these platforms a I would say you're a highly unusual shareholder I think most shareholders would say actually Windows is like, like we wanna we wanna focus this in terms of like continuing to ensure over the next little while that like all this revenue keeps coming in and part of that is making sure part of that is like c- continuing to use the strategy that they've done for the decade beforehand, which is to keep these the applications tied closely to the operating system and making all their money that way. Now, I think I, I wonder if you're if you're position as an employee would have been different if you'd had someone if the questions that people had been asking were what do you think makes sense 10 years from now ben like do you think that like i understand you think this is right for the next three months but what about 10 years off like no but i mean i i i i think well first off from a shareholder perspective uh when i was there Microsoft stock was like $27 a share when they were doing what you said, mm. like the 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 prop up windows strategy. Mm-hmm. Today it's at $41 a share when they've gone the cross platform strategy. So the 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 stock market has actually been very correct. And in fact, the stock market is rewarding Microsoft for doing what I believe 
independent of all that stuff is the right thing to do from a strategic perspective. Um, it, the reason Microsoft – so actually the reason Microsoft resisted doing it was not because of shareholder pressure. Shareholders have been pushing Microsoft for a long time to pursue the strategy. The reason they resisted was their internal their internal pressures, their internal need to prop up Windows. But why? Like, actually, why prop up Windows? What's the pressure to prop up Windows stemming? Because from? Windows, because Windows, like for especially for Steve Ballmer, Windows was the company. That's what Microsoft was. Windows, Windows was Microsoft, and so actually, it, it, it's the perfect, it's the perfect counter to exactly what you're saying. Because actually, what was best for shareholders was to was to change their strategy. But for many years, they were unable to, even though. Many people, not just me, many people from outside were, were were saying they should do this. And now they have changed their strategy and they're being rewarded by the stock market. Yeah. Like, and so you can't have it both ways. You can't say the stock market always gets it wrong when in the case of Microsoft, in my opinion, they're getting it exactly right. Well, Microsoft is worth more Microsoft is worth almost double. Like seriously, almost like Yeah, yeah, I, I accept that. So you you know this company and you know the stock way better than I do. You work there. I would say that there are more than more factors at work in Microsoft's stock price than the the office slash Windows strategy there. No, I actually no, I disagree. Like the, the reason the reason the stock has been unlocked is because there's there's a real sense that they have let go of of their old strategy, of their need to every, have everything be about Windows and to its, instead pursue this cross-platform services-based strategy. Okay, I'm willing. I'm I'm even willing to grant you that. But to say that, um, to I mean, I would characterize Bulma's adhere like Bulma's insistence that Microsoft is Windows and Windows is Microsoft. That's that's yes, companies get it wrong, and that that strikes me as being irrational as opposed to. Um, as opposed to an example of uh, of like what it was that I'm describing, like I, I feel like that attitude would have been, I don't know, like that's not. I understand what you're saying that the market always doesn't get it right, or well, doesn't always get it wrong, and and the company doesn't always get it right. But this instance doesn't feel necessarily like an instance of what it is that I'm talking about. Do you know what I'd I mean? Say, no, no, I no, I think you're trying to wave it off because it it it, it is a it is a perfect counter to what you're saying. In this case, in this case the reason Microsoft's problems were about internal inertia and internal politics and internal um doing things the way they've always done them. Like and my contention is that those factors are just as much at play yeah. when it comes to why companies can't self-disrupt as it is shareholder pressure right. and, and to and to attribute it all to the shareholders and say if we fix this shareholder problem then then incumbent companies could self disrupt i i just don't agree well i i i uh I, i'm not sure that i agree with you i think that <laughs> that's fine no 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 but i i think that I, I, your point is well made around Microsoft. Um, I think that the, the prescription for, for, for self-disruption is not to try and um, is not to try to cr- create the new disruptive unit from within the organization. It's to separate it out. Now, I, I, like it strikes me that Microsoft were being a, like it, it, 
just strikes me as irrational that someone would say the product is the company and the company is the product. And it's always irrational, though, no, right? Well, maybe, but I like, mean, like it's, it's that, like, that would it, be like saying Apple can't make the iPhone because we can't get Mac OS ten on it, right? Like there are examples of companies when they start to when they start to um, when they stop focusing on the the financials and they start focusing on the the mission and the needs they're able to like see past that i again i, I think i feel like you're being obtuse like mm. because like yes because the reason is is were they being irrational yes but my point is that irrational is systemic it's it's in sorry endemic it's endemic to corporations that have been built over decades around a certain business model right. around a certain way of doing things and and I think where where I where I think you're giving this short shrift is you're you're saying oh like Microsoft is some sort of exception no. whereas I think I think this is this is human nature yeah, but, and it's okay. the nature of corporations to to over index on what they've always done yep and because of that like you could take away shareholder pressure completely and they would still, in my opinion, be at a disadvantage relative to someone starting fresh. Mm, yes. Well, th so, but that wasn't my argument earlier. My argument earlier was if the if the starting fresh one is backed by Microsoft and the other is backed by a venture capital, like a general venture firm, um, would would like which is more likely to succeed in the instances in the instance where Microsoft wasn't under pressure from the financial markets not to self-disrupt and i like my argument was that it's more like i actually think that there are there is a case to be made that microsoft could do a better job than a random venture firm in backing a new startup because they do have resources inside them that would be and and negotiating power with other with other and distribution and all these things that would be helpful to a startup that a general VC firm doesn't have but they don't do it because the, of the pressure to not do it. Fair enough. No, I, I think I think our differences are well marked out. I I think your I I agree with you that any incumbent organization is going to have uh, implicit. You know, is going to have certain advantages in any new category, but I think you're you're under you're undercounting the disadvantages. And my contention is that the disadvantages outweigh the advantages, uh, such that it's better to start fresh without advantages, but with also without all the disadvantages. That's interesting. I mean, again, it would be interesting to run those numbers. I mean. Uh, the the experiment to test what we're talking about, I don't think is possible beyond instances of looking at Google and Facebook, which are again too similar because they have isolated away the shareholder pressure through their corporate structure. But um, it it would be it it's so. And you think that even if it was a separate entity, like the same way that IBM went from mainframes to personal computers, you still think if it was a separate entity that the new entity, the new startup backed by the corporate parent would be at that same disadvantage? Uh, I uh, Yeah, I guess so. Interesting. Um, so I actually think that pr probably the most compelling uh, structure that I've seen, and I think there's a lot, is Google Ventures actually, uh, where basically uh, they... They're investing quite a bit of money, um, several billion dollars, um, in in companies yeah. 
and then they have an they have an inside view on what they're doing on what they're working on and there's actually a pretty good string now of them acquiring companies that they've invested in and what's interesting is is that takes the spin-off company to an extreme like they literally yes they have some degree of control as a venture firm but nothing like it's it's a totally different dynamic than a than a quote unquote startup that yeah. is completely funded by the corporation. But and so they, they do lose probably some economic efficiency in that like to acquire a company that they've invested in probably costs them more than it would to if it had grown up within the within Google the whole time. But at the same time, perhaps those companies are coming up with products and innovations that that wouldn't have been possible for whatever reason had they been inside Google. This is really interesting. I, f- I feel like you've just picked up an example that cuts straight down the, the, the middle line of what we've both been talking about in that it's this is a way for an organization to, to, to see disruptive ideas, seed ideas that could be that could be lethal to the core, um, uh, but because they're kept separate, they uh, there's no risk of it. You know, like it's not it's not threatening. Like there's no way for the parent to reach out and there's and nothing there's nothing they can do about it. There's yeah. no way for them to tinker, um, and more so they they have a clean slate. But at the same time, what's the bet that when one of those little companies needs something from inside Google? Um, that there are ways in which Google Ventures can help them get access to that, whether it's well, I think it's more that they they just acquire them, right? If they if they realize that man, if this company had access to to our resources here, they could really do something amazing, and then they go out and buy the company. Yeah, maybe, but like for example, I, I'm pretty sure that Google Ventures put quite a lot of money into Uber, and it like it gets me all excited thinking about what happens when. You start putting Uber together with Google Maps and Google self-driving cars. Like that is a pretty crazy business. Yeah, we we, we will have to spend. Uh, um, I, I've I've been thinking a lot about the kind of Google philosophy on computing, hmm. um, and I think it's a philosophy shared by a lot of geeks. I think that's why Google is very endearing to them. Um, but I, I'm not sure that it's the right philosophy. Um, but we should we we should save that and um, we should say that maybe for the next podcast. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, the thing that gets me most excited about Google right now is all the stuff that they're doing inside of X and even ventures. I think that's that's actually more interesting to me. Like, I remember I remember talking to you about WWDC and you were giving me a hard time because I thought it was boring. Well, I kind of thought the same thing about. <laughs> <laughs> just equal opportunity. I kind of thought the same thing about Google's developer conference. It was just a whole lot of, well, that seems like a bit of a no-brainer. Well, <laughs> it was no-brainer taken to the extreme. Like, I think yeah. the problem with Android Android Wear is it's taking a smartphone and putting it on your wrist, which sounds a lot like Windows Mobile taking uh, the Windows desktop and putting it on a phone, right? Is I could not agree with you more. Isn't it funny how like the parallel is is so similar? Like Windows couldn't crack mobile because they couldn't challenge their assumptions around what needed to be in a device versus what needed to be completely chucked out and started again. Google is suffering from the same thing around their phone. They're trying to turn. They're trying to make the phone the watch. It's just a little like, or, yep. or the paradigm is too similar. And this is where, this is where I think Apple has its edge. It's very good at starting again from scratch. No, I yeah. I, so my my current thinking is that the iWatch is actually multiple products 
um, that are primarily fashion items that happen to have functions and none of them have screens or maybe mm. or most of them don't. Um, having, you know, oh, I read that. I read your article. Yeah, like so, the so not so, having screens is very interesting. So think about think about like the iPhone. There's no buttons. Yeah, doesn't be the iWatch. There's no screen. Yeah, well, that I see. That's the thing that that nobody until Apple came along and started challenging assumptions could get and around the buttons. And that's like that would be typical Apple to like challenge some an assumption that everyone thinks is so fundamental, but turns out to be completely unnecessary. And that is the screen. That's really really interesting. I like that a lot. So um, we should talk with that next time. Uh, yeah, all right. Sounds good. We're, we're already an hour in, and this may or may not be recording right oh, now. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I know. Like technical problems. Isn't that fun? Skype died on us. Like your computer's crashed. My computer was playing games. Ugh. Technology. Who needs it? Well, well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang up now, and we may or may not talk again in five minutes unless I see if it's recorded. <laughs> okay. All right. Talk to you later. See ya.